Welcome to the Think Theism Podcast. Howdy, Zach Lawson here. I thought it was appropriate to preface this episode with a few remarks since it's a little bit different from what we normally do on Think Theism. Ratio Christi at Texas A&M has two goals. Our first and primary goal is providing an intellectually honest defense of the Christian faith. This includes defending things such as the existence of God, as well as the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our second goal is to promote genuine dialogue between people of other faiths or even people of no faiths. The reason that we have this is because it's so easy for Christians to get sequestered off into our own little bubbles uh, and to essentially create echo chambers where we only hear the same things over and over again. However, if we're going to be honest seekers of truth, it's important to take time to understand other points of view. And so, to that end, we invited Imam Islam Mossad from the Islamic community of Bryan and College Station to come and speak to us on uh, conceptions of God in Islam, particularly divine names and divine attributes. Now, here's Imam Mossad's talk. Uh, thank you all for that uh, warm welcome. Uh, begin first with praising God. Uh, the Lord of the worlds, and peace and blessings be upon his prophets and messengers, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to Jesus and to their seal, uh, Muhammad. Um, very happy to be here um, on Texas A&M uh, campus. Uh, I think part of my bio that we sent over is that I'm a Longhorn. So uh, there you go. There, there it is. Uh, so I graduated from the University of Texas uh, with a degree in uh, chemical engineering. Um, and my Islamic studies have come at the hand of scholars and also uh, my parents themselves were very active in educating me in the Arabic language and in the Quranic uh, and Hadith uh, literature. The Quran being what Muslims believe is the final revelation from the one God, the same God who sent revelation to Abraham, to Moses, and to Jesus, that he also sent revelation to the last of the messengers, that's our belief. His name is Muhammad, and he came 570 years after Jesus, peace be upon him. Uh, peace and God, of God be upon them all. And uh, he was from the descendants of Abraham, from the line of Ishmael. So, it's going to start looking like a Sunday school class on this board. Uh, so I'm going to write in Arabic first. Because all of you studied up and polished your Arabic before you came today, right? Because <laughs> you guys are the smartest people on campus, right? But also the humblest. So that's Horatio Christi, right? So there's... Um, is it being humble saying I am the humblest person? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Getting that, you can debate that at your after hours discussion. Um, I found this very interesting is that Kant has his, uh, a thesis, um, Immanuel Kant, and at the top of the thesis he wrote, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. And there's a debate as to whether he's the one who actually put it there or someone else put it there as a kind of joke. <laughs> so, um, because some people say his philosophy is antithetical to uh, Islam or towards uh, religion generally. In any case, 
Um, so Abraham, in Arabic we say Ibrahim. So a lot of this is terminology. Um, and this is why there's so much xenophobia nowadays. Is if you say a word, have you heard the word Sharia? Mm -hmm. You say a word like Sharia, it scares people to death when they hear that word Sharia. But if I translated that and said God's law, then you would have evangelical Christians and Orthodox Jews say, yeah, we like that. We like God's law. So a lot of this is terminology. When we say um, Ibrahim, it's the same thing as Abraham. Before even that, when we say Allah, we mean by this, the one God. And the verse of the Qur'an, the verse of the Qur'an states, uh, in respect to the Muslims and the people of the book. Have you heard that expression, people of the book? Would be Jews and Christians, they received also scripture. So it refers, uh, in that context, it says that our God and your God is one God and we are surrendered to him. Um, and so Allah is just, some people would argue at least, that Allah is just a contraction of Al. So everybody knows El from the uh, Mexican restaurants. We have a lot of better Mexican res restaurants in Austin. Than, but it's usually with an E-L, right? Um, but El, it came from the Arabic, actually, because the Muslims were in Spain. Does anybody know for how long? From what date to what date? I'll give you an easy way to remember it, but let me see if y'all know first. So in southern Spain, in Andalusia is what it was called. So from 7-Eleven, the gas station, <laughs> until 1492 when Columbus sailed the sea and the, what is it, the Nina, the Pinta, whatever they taught us at school, and the mighty Santa Marie or something like that, right? So um, that would be an interesting subject if you find a person who can talk to you about Muslim Spain, Andalusia, uh, very much the golden age of Islam, and also, by the way, of Judaism, the Jews who lived with the Muslims. Um, in uh, southern Spain. So, Al-Ilah. So in the Bible you have words like Elohim, Elo. So referring to divine, divinity, God. Um, so this is all, this is all Semitic language. Um, and so I wanted to emphasize that at first, is that we need to overcome that language barrier and demystify some of the words. Uh, because some people say, who is that? Allah, he's not my God, he's your Arabian God, right? And, um, you know, some people, they they kind of joke in, the, in a sad way that if Jesus be upon him at the airport, he'd probably be, especially nowadays, he'd probably be pulled over for questioning and in interrogation. Um, so... Abraham, peace be upon him, he had... Uh, two sons. So in Islamic belief system of prophecy and prophethood, we believe both of them are legitimate. We don't believe that Isaac was a legitimate son of Abraham and Ishmael was an illegitimate son. We see that uh, his first wife, Sarah, and his second wife, Hajar, Sarah being from, uh, at that time, uh, what's modern-day Iraq, and uh, Hajar being from what's modern-day Egypt. Uh, people argue about Abraham a lot, and some people say, oh, he is from this place or that place. Um, in any case, that's not our discussion today. 
So his son Ishmael was his first son. We say Ismail. So just to be fun, I'm going to put the Arabic sounding names. Um, so Ismail. And then his other son, can you guess what his name is in, in Arabic? It sounds like Isaac. It's Ishaq. Ishaq. Y'all know Yitzhak Rabin. So it's just another variation. So we say Salam, they say Shalom. <laughs> we say Potato, they say Potato. No, just kidding. Um, but actually, I mean, whenever I'm in an interfaith panel and a Jewish speaker speaks, I'm like, oh, I know that term. Oh, that term, that term, that term. Because they're the same in Arabic, it's just slightly different um, enunciation. So I'm becoming very conscious of the ums because I overheard the technical guru there saying it depends on the speaker how many ums and ahs he says. <laughs> so you didn't have a lot of editing to do. Um, so another one. I just did. Okay, so you guys, now we're gonna y'all gonna be conscious of that too. So from Ismail's side, eventually comes Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. You might have to this because it's come from the seat. Yes, go ahead. Whatever you need to do is good. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So from Isaac's side, of course, you get we say Israel. Who is who? Who is Israel? Jacob. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna make y'all do the Arabic now. Yaqub. I don't know why the J sickness is there. Uh, but it's a yeah. Yaqub. Um and then the twelve tribes of Israel, right? And then eventually you go down to Moses, peace be upon him, who's a major prophet. Uh, you probably didn't know this fact uh, that the prophet in the Quran who's mentioned the most and his stories repeated the most often is Moses, peace be upon him. Uh, when you begin to study the Quran, it's not like uh, you have the beginning, Genesis, and you have the stories of each prophet subsequently. You will have the story of the prophet mentioned in many different places. Uh, to give some kind of reinforcement of a theme or a message. So Moses, peace upon him, is a major prophet for Muslims. Uh, all these names, by the way, are, are Muslim names as well. Like, uh, for example, uh, the mother of Jesus, peace upon him, we say Maryam. So from Moses' line, well, not Moses' line exactly, but eventually from the Israelite line, eventually you get down to many generations, you get down to Isa. So um, one of my friends, his son name, his son's name is uh, is Isa. My daughter's name is Maryam. Who is Maryam? Mary. It's different than Miriam. So um, Maryam and Isa. So what we believe is that Isa or Jesus, peace upon him, is the final messenger to the Israelites. So after this long line of prophecy, many prophets here I didn't mention, obviously, uh, David, Solomon. We see Solomon not just as a king, but as a prophet. Uh, when I say the word prophet, let me explain what that means to Muslims. It means someone who received divine revelation from God. And a messenger is a person who also received the holy book to be delivered to mankind. So a messenger would be Moses, peace upon him. Then those who were sent after him, to have people conform to the Torah, they would have been prophets until the next big messenger, 
which should have been Jesus, peace be upon him, who received what we call as the Injil. Some people, they wonder, this is a lot of background, so the Muslims believe in the Bible or not? So what we say is we believe, there's a verse of the Quran which says, say we believe in God or Allah, um, and we believe in what was sent down to us, which is the Quran, and what was sent down to Abraham, uh, so you, so you, since you know the names now, you know what I'm talking about. Ila Ibrahima, wa Ismaila, wa Ishaqa, wa Yaquba, wal Asbat. Asbat just means the children of Israel. It sounds very foreign now when I'm talking, right? <laughs> but hopefully we break the ice a little bit. Uh, if someone comes to this room and says, "Oh, what is he doing here?" Casting <laughs> <laughs> some sort of spell or something. Yes, yes, he's trying to convert these nice Christians into becoming Muslim and he's saying all these Arabic fancy words and no my intention is simply to convey what you invited me to do which is eventually to get the divine attributes because it's very interesting um, but just a little bit of background um, they say we believe in, in Allah or God um, and what was revealed to us and what was revealed to Abraham to Ishmael to Isaac to uh, Jacob, to his children, to his descendants. Musa uh, wa And what was given to Moses and to Jesus, peace be upon him. And whatever other prophets were given from their Lord. So what we believe in is the actual divine message from God to that prophet or messenger. So is the Bible that same thing? As Muslims, we would uh, maybe disagree with Jews and Christians, we say that the Bible today is not the exact words of what God communicated to a prophet and then it's promulgated by that prophet verbatim, the same way the Qur'an is. So what Muslims believe about the Qur'an is that God sent the angel Gabriel with these words specifically in the Arabic language and then the angel Gabriel transmitted them to Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, who transmitted it to his companions. Um, and it was an oral tradition, it still is an oral tradition, but also became written tradition an oral tradition in that it's memorized. So the Qur'an is transmitted from one generation to the next generation, not by a priestly or clergy class, but by the masses, from many to many to many. And that's how the preservation goes back 14 centuries, is that the same Qur'an which I recite today is the one given to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. This is what uh, an objective historian would argue. However, the part about it coming from God is where people would... Um, have debates and saying, is it really from God or not? But in terms of its transmission, um, it is a pretty faithful uh, transmission from the time of Prophet Muhammad until today. So let's jump um, to uh, the connection here. So Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, is the last of the messengers, we believe, to all of mankind from the line of Ishmael. He said that he and the prophets who came before him is like a nice, beautiful building and um, has many bricks, except there's one brick that is missing. So uh, he said, I am the last brick. Uh, it's not talking about missing missing a shot in basketball, but that literal, the, the last brick that makes everything make sense um, and makes everything complete and beautified and perfected. Uh, so that's what we believe about Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him. Obviously, we don't worship the Prophet Muhammad or any other prophet or messenger. Uh, but you notice that we do give them reverence by saying peace be upon him, uh, by showing the due deference to them that they were chosen by God 
as representatives and as the best of examples for all of mankind. Okay, so when we talk about the names and attributes of Allah, one of the common, so let's start with the first name, Allah. One of the common things you will see is that Muslims talk about 99 names of Allah. Have y'all heard that expression before? So they're called the 99 beautiful names. Uh, so some of those names, one of those names is Allah. Another name is Ar-Rahman. So you're going to understand now how Muslims get certain names. If you add the um, three letters, Abdul, it looks more than three letters, but that's because that L is extra. Abdul. So you get Abdullah. It becomes Abdullah. Okay, let's maybe, a lot of, you don't know a lot of people named Abdullah. Abdullah. But what about Abdul? Abdul means slave of or servant of. I was talking to some Christians at the mosque and they said slave is too, too strong of a word for us. It has negative connotations in English. I said, what's wrong with being a slave to God? I mean, he's the master and we're his slave. And they said, no, no, don't use the word slave. I said, okay, devotee. Does that sound nice? <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Abdul, slave of or worshiper of or devotee or servant. Abdul Jabbar. You all have heard that name, right? Kareem Abdul Jabbar. So this is one of the names of Allah actually. Al-Jabbar means the overpowering. So he chose that name uh, to be that he's a dominant basketball player. So you have Abdul Rahman, Abdul Rahim, Abdul Samia, Abdul Basir. And I'll explain some of these names. Not all 99 names. We would need us um, to be uh, here maybe till the wee hours of the morning, uh, which is not our intention today. So Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. These two names I want to spend a little bit of time on. So Arabic as a Semitic language, it has three letter roots. And then you derive uh, other words from those three letter roots. So it's a very powerful uh, language in the sense that all you have to know is these three letters for a particular word. Then you can make potentially tens of words. So the three letter root that comes from here, so we write from right to left, uh, and I'll just do the expanded form here, Rahama. So we don't have uh, like letters that are vowels, what we have, we just have three, but what we have is diacritical marks. So this is Ra, Ha, Ma. If I put it under here, it would be Rahima. Now I'm going through all of this because you guys are intellectually curious and you can digest a lot of material really fast. But if something is going over your head, just tell me to slow down and because it should should be a little bit uh, understandable. I'll try to try to do my best in that. Um, so Rahama. Don't worry about all this Arabic stuff up here. Rahama. R-H-M, so then you get, you can see those three letters here, Rahman, you can see it here, Rahim. So Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, this is how God introduces himself in the Quran, 
at the beginning of each chapter of the Quran, or what we call a surah, uh, there is this beginning which says, in the name of Allah, who is Ar-Rahman, we translate it as the most compassionate, Ar-Rahim, the most merciful. But it actually is deeper than that. Rahama, there's another word, which is a rahim. A rahim is a womb. So the womb of a mother, when you think of the womb of a mother, what does that connote to you? This is nurturing. a small enough group we can... But yes? Nurture, nurturing. Nurturing, what else does it connote to you? Who remembers when they're in their mother's womb? They'll freak me out if you say you remember when you're in your mother's womb. <laughs> there's a dependency there. Dependency, that's good. Okay. What else? Safety. Safety, warmth, comfort, sustenance, all of those things. So when, a, when an Arab hears the word, or a Semitic person hears the word, Rahman, he automatically is thinking about those concepts because there's another word called Rahim, and it's from the same root. And so that's the power of the language uh, itself. And this is why if you really want to study Islam, you should learn Arabic the same way that a Christian uh, would, would try to learn Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic or maybe all three and learn Arabic on the side too. That would be, wow. <laughs> I, would, I would come to that lecture. Uh, that would be a very interesting lecture to see all, all languages. Um, so in any case, Ar-Rahman is the intensely merciful. Now I'm spending time on this not because there's a lot of uh, negative stereotypes about Islam that Allah is a God of vengeance and that Muslims are all just about um, power, dominance and everything by force and everything is by God's um, vengeance. Now, actually, there is a name for Allah, one of the 99 names is Al-Muntaqim, which means the one who takes vengeance. But what's actually very interesting is the name that comes, usually the names come in pairs also. The name that comes right after the one who takes vengeance is Al-Afu, which means the one who pardons. So it's a very nice contrast between the two. So Ar-Rahman means the intensely merciful. So like I said, it's not because this is trying to deflect negative stereotypes. It's because this is the reality of the Islamic tradition. Is This name is so important and it's a very common name that you will find people naming themselves Abdul-Rahman. Um, so Rahman means intensely merciful intensely merciful and so that could be at an instantaneous moment there is nobody more merciful than him his mercy is so intense it is so great, it is so profound but is he always that way? so then that's where Rahim comes Rahim is the ever merciful so you can begin to see that with the names that we have for Allah, we are getting deeper and deeper understanding of who God is. Even though He is transcendent, we can know Him through the revelation, through the names, and also through nature itself, which is the creation of God, and which is, if He is the artist, then this art is pointing back to who He is. And, and like when a person sees, uh, and, and God is above any example, but a person sees... Who's your favorite painter? Or if you have a favorite painter. I'll say the ones that everybody knows. Van Gogh, Picasso, something like that, right? So you see a Picasso. Oh, I can see Picasso in that painting. Does that literally mean that you see Picasso? Or is it 
you're talking about I see his the essence that he, he that is coming emanating from him onto that uh, projection that it becomes the the transcendent the transcendent work yes go the, the traits of his work the traits of his work yes yes um, and but it points back to him it points back to him and so these names it's not talking about a multiplicity of gods and deities, by the way, uh, like the concept in Hinduism, uh, but it's saying it all is pointing back to one of the most important names, which is Al-Ahad. And I think y'all know a little bit about this because uh, Zach emailed me and said, can you talk about Tawheed? So that's a big word. So if you know about Tawheed, which is very deep, <laughs> um, then you know one of his names is Al-Ahad, which means the singular. Uh, unique, also has to do with being indivisible. But in any case, Rahman and Rahim, the Prophet Muhammad wanted to, uh, peace be upon him, wanted his companions to understand this concept of how much love and how much mercy and compassion Allah has. And so there was a woman who was nursing her child who was separated from her. And so she uh, immediately, and so this is the idea of separation. So you're separated from her, but then they're reunited, and the child is, is hungry and thirsty, and so she immediately begins to uh, to uh, nurse the child. And so it's a it's a very um, compassionate moment. And so the Prophet Muhammad him, he says, do you think this woman would throw her child into a pit of fire? And I said, no way. She wouldn't do anything like that. She wouldn't even fathom, contemplate something like this. So he said, Allah is more merciful towards his ibad or towards his uh, slaves or servants or devotees uh, than that woman is towards her uh, child. And so this is talking about Rahman and Rahim, the mercy, intense, mercy, intense compassion. Some of the other names uh, that we will, we'll, we will look at, but I want to see if there are any questions or comments so far because we, we did actually talk a lot about uh, several different areas. So I want to see if there are any questions so far or things that you want to add. Yes. Um, when we were talking about Jesus earlier, yes. uh, who you referred to as Isa. Obviously, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, so Christianity claims that uh, he was born of the Virgin Mary, the Mary yes. of the Virgin. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you guys don't believe that he didn't have a father. But... So we, we believe in the Virgin birth. We do believe in that. If we don't believe in that, then we would be considered heretical and we would actually be considered outside of Islam. Okay. Uh, because there's a whole chapter in the Quran called Mary, and it talks about how the angel Gabriel, who we also call uh, a spirit from Allah, he came to convey to her the message that she would have Jesus peace upon him, and that it was a miracle. Uh, one of the first miracles uh, for Jesus peace upon him is that his mother uh, was a virgin. So... Uh, we believe in that. Uh, we believe in the Immaculate Conception that Mary's mother uh, made a prayer to God to protect her descendants or her child and the descendants from the devil. And so that would be Mary and Jesus, peace be upon him. So there's a saying of the Prophet Muhammad. Let me put this word over here. I make references to Quran, which we said is many to many to many. Revelation from God to the angel Gabriel, memorized. That's Quran. There's something different, which is called Hadith, which is kind of like the Confucius says, 
sort of format, which is the Prophet Muhammad said or did or so on. One of the hadith, it says that uh, when, a, when a child is born, that the devil comes and tries to touch that child and actually touches the child to try to put like a negative spin, if you will, um, except there are two that he was unable to do that with because of the prayer of Mary's mother, and that would be Mary and Jesus, be So, um, I mean, there are obviously differences between Islam and Christianity, but there are a lot of lot of similarities as well. So, what other questions y'all have so far about some of these topics, subjects? I have a question. Yes. You were talking earlier about um, the, the prophethood of, of Isa and the prophethood of Muhammad as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, there probably isn't a lot of history, but here in the U.S., you know, they have a thing called Mormonism. Yes. Which, um, their claim is also that there is a uh, an additional prophet that, yes. that, that carries on. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what um, I imagine there's not a lot of history there since since there isn't as big of an Islamic presence here in the U.S., but I'm curious yeah. if you would comment on that. Uh, like, well, like how obviously you would probably view Joseph Smith as a false prophet. Yes. Right. Yes. Anybody after the Prophet Muhammad, mm -hmm. we will see is a, is a false prophet. Okay. We do believe that Jesus, peace upon him, will come back. Okay. And so there have been several people in history um, who have been claim who have claimed to be Jesus, <laughs> peace be upon him. And there are even people in history who claim to be Allah, and God in the flesh. Um, and I, I met a person who said that he was Allah. And he said that to me. He said, I'm Allah. And he asked me if I can get him a history book about this. I, I was going to like, if you're Allah, why do you need a history book? <laughs> you're the one who made history. You know all the history. In any case, um, some of the other names of Allah um, is Rabbil Alameen. Yes. I have one more question. Okay. Uh, so you were talking about the angel Gabriel. Yes. Um, so uh, Islam believes that when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it's actually referring to the angel Gabriel. I haven't studied each of the sources close enough to say that in each instance where the Holy Spirit is talking about it's the angel Gabriel. But in the Quran, Ruh um, al-Qudus, literally translated to Holy Spirit, is referring to the angel Gabriel. Uh, so as a spirit, as angels being spirit, a special spirit, and we also as human beings, uh, what differentiated us is not intellect, but the special spirit that God blew into us. Um, and so that is something that is part of the Quranic um, explanation for why we have a longing for God is because of that connection that we have through the spirit that was blown into us and this is where the Sufi tradition becomes very big the Sufis are the, the Islamic mystics or Muslim mystics like Muslim mystics so it's a type of mysticism so for them what they do with these names uh, is they would repeat them over and over and they would do it in a way, it eventually becomes like almost like a trance. Um, and then they have feelings of, of, of joy, of sadness, of a mixture of feelings, of connecting with God, of becoming overwhelmed. Um, and just by saying a name over and over. Um, and so uh, 
I don't want to demonstrate that because I'm afraid of myself uh, becoming overcome. But in any case, when you when you think about these names, they are trying to draw you back to where you came from also, which is being close to God um, and being with the angels. And then we're in this world and we're trying to get back. So, Rabbil Alameen, um, we said Allah, we said Ar-Rahman, we said Ar-Rahim. Rabbil Alameen means Lord. I saw that display I had earlier about a multiverse. Lord of the Universe. worlds. Worlds with a plural, which is really interesting. That I mean, because you could have used a singular noun, but instead of plural noun is used, Lord of the worlds. So I don't know why they say people of faith would be challenged if there were aliens or if there are multiple universes, that some of this is a challenge to faith. Because he would still be the Lord of that world and that universe too. I mean, it's still within his uh, dominion. So Lord of the worlds, Rab, this is also where you get Rabbi, also Rabbi. Uh, my Lord. Um, so Lord also has to do with the one who takes care of and nourishes and builds up and so on. This whole world, this whole creation. Um, some of the other names. Now we come to the names of accountability and of God's justice and his divine majesty. Yomiddin. Uh, uh, so Maliki is the owner. You can also say Maliki, which means the king. Because one can own without ruling and one can rule without owning. But he rules and he owns. Um, Yawmiddin is the day of accountability. So that is in this world, he allows things to be, there is... Um, acts of kindness, there's acts of aggression, there's acts of forgiveness, there's acts of retribution. But on the day of accountability, everything is under his, and it still is now, but he, this is the place of trial, not the place of final abode. Uh, so he is the one who will rule over that day, and everything will be perfectly just, but more than that is the mercy of God. Right? And I know that's a Christian concept as well. Uh, the grace of God is that a person, this is an argument within Islamic theologians as well, uh, faith and works and these kind of arguments that Christians had. Uh, same thing about the one about the morality. Uh, is it good because God said it's good or is it good because it is good? And so the Muslims wrestled with that as well because they're saying, is there something supreme over God then, a framework of, of values that is supreme to God, that God has to yield to. Um, and so what became Orthodox Islam said, no, it's not. It says it's good because God said it's good. Um, and interestingly, uh, they would say that evil is an illusion. So <laughs> um, in any case, this uh, Maliki Omiddin, or Owner of the Day of, Account uh, Day of Accountability, um, brings in some other names because this name, king and owner and the one who is just, it should put in our hearts 
or puts in the Muslim hearts anyway, this sense of like fear. And we have in Islam fear and love. We don't shy away from saying that we have fear and we have love. So we have fear of God's punishment, right? It's not like those dirty hairy movies, I'll put the fear of God into you or something like this. Um, but it actually kind of is like that. It's like some people, they need that. Um, the ones who are partying on 6th Street, I don't have a 6th Street here. I have to learn what the streets are. Uh, we have Northgate. Northgate? It's a district. It's a bar district. Just okay. It's, all right. So it's like a fraction of 6th Street? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. I mean, from, from my perspective, anyway. Um, so person is, is living enough on 6th Street, doing whatever they are doing. All kinds of moralities. I'm not saying that that's all that goes on 6th Street, but but let's say you know they're just going from uh, from one conquest to another, uh, just whatever they want to do um, with no cares. Sometimes that kind of a person needs the fear of God to wake them up. And uh, if a person though is already in a fearful state, oh my God, I've done so many sins. I'm going to be destroyed. That's it, my life is over. No, that person needs to hear about the mercy of Allah, the mercy of God, uh, the, that He is the most merciful, the most kind. So that comes into some other names, which is Al Ghafur. Al Ghafur, which means the most forgiving. Most of these names are in superlative forms, so the most forgiving. So me, you and I can be forgiving, because we do have, not in the Quran, but in the hadith, a similar saying to what Christians say is that Allah created us in His image. And so what does that mean in terms of His names? So since He is the forgiving, we also should forgive. He is merciful, we show mercy. He is compassionate, we show com compassion. Not in an anthropomorphized way of that we are in the image of God. This, that wouldn't be within the Islamic understanding. But rather reflecting His names, except for His names which have to do with His greatness, like Al-Kabir. Like the great, we need to be humble. Or like Al-Azim, the most mighty. Those kind of names we try not to emulate. But the other names, for example, Al-Adl, the just. We should emulate justice. So, Al-Ghafur, the most forgiving. Just to give you an example of that. Um, as well as how Allah, He takes retribution both. Two different stories. Uh, one of them, it says that a woman, she had a cat. How many of you have a cat? Oh, there you go. But you take care of your cat, so you're not going to be like the one in this story. <laughs> right? So this woman, she had a cat. She would neither feed the cat, uh, nor should we allow, nor should we, would she allow it to go and, um, you know, find food for itself. And she caged it up until the cat died. So the moral of the story is that outwardly she was a religious woman. She was praying. She was even fasting. Uh, people would look up to her as a woman who is religious. But because of her cruelty, it says that Allah put her into the hellfire. Right? So that's the idea about vengeance. Um, a righteous vengeance. Then the opposite story in the same narration. So yes, make sure you treat animals kindly. Um, in the opposite narration, with the same, uh, in the opposite story in the same narration, it says there was a prostitute um, who was traveling through the desert. So she would be seen in most societies, oh, this is from the lowest rungs, who is sinful, she commits many sins, etc. 
Um, so she's in the desert and she's very thirsty. She finds a well. And at the well, she's about to go down. She finds a dog who is panting and thirsty. So you can tell what happens in the story. She uh, fills her slipper with water and then takes it up to the dog to drink even before she drinks. It says because of that, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, oh subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm adding too much Arabic now. Subhanahu wa ta'ala just means glory be to him and exalted he is. Usually we say that after saying Allah. So that Allah or God, he forgives all of her sins and enters her into paradise. So that's part of the attributes of Allah or of God. He forgives whomever he wants and he punishes whomever he wants. And some of the companions, they said, if you were to sit when the Prophet Muhammad was talking about Allah's mercy and his compassion, said even a disbeliever who was passing by, an outright polytheist or atheist, would think that he's going to paradise. Because of how much mercy and compassion he would be here, he would hear being referred to Allah. It said, and when he was talking about Allah's vengeance and his justice and his punishment, said even the strongest and the best of the believers, he would think that he's going to the hellfire. So in this way, you have fear and hope in Islam. They should be balanced, like the wings of a bird. Fear of God's punishment, but hope in his mercy. And that's how we reconcile. Um, we don't see them as two different gods. We don't say, oh, there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. It's the same one God. He is Ahad. But it, it, depending on the person and where they are in their life, the hope and the fear may be one, in, one going up, one going down. Except at the time of death, the Prophet Muhammad said, you need to let your hope in God's mercy exceed your fear of his wrath. Because one of the traditions, very interesting one, says that Allah says, I am as my servant thinks of me. So if you have an optimistic opinion about Allah, then he will treat you that way. So uh, these were some of the names. Any questions so far or comments? By the way, what time do we, we need to end? Uh, about 9.35. 9.35? Okay. About 10 minutes, yeah. Okay. So, so um, what questions y'all have so far about what we talked about? Yes. I like questions. Don't worry. Yeah. So, there's no way to guarantee salvation. In Islam? So, we say that if a person believes and does good works, both, then they will make it to paradise. But the, in terms of an individual person, while they're still alive, saying, I am going to paradise, a Muslim wouldn't say that. Because they don't know if they will die in belief or disbelief. And they don't know of their own measure with God. They may know their own measure with themselves, but they don't know how God is viewing them. So um, we, don't, we don't believe, obviously, I mean, that's, that's what makes us different. We don't believe that God uh, sent His Son and to die for us, and then we have salvation through the blood of Christ. We don't believe in original sin. We believe that God is forgiving and merciful, but also we need to be careful not to rest on our laurels and not to take it too easy, uh, because um, the devil is very active to try to seduce, to uh, inspire falsely. Uh, to mislead, to misguide. And so we always have to be on edge and say, well, I don't know for sure, but if I continue on this path, then that path leads to paradise. And I hope that I will be there. And I'm also worried that if I take this other path, it'll take me to the hellfire. But in the end, we know it's God's decision. Not, it's not our works, it's God's decision at the end. And we, we, we find great comfort in one of the statements of Prophet Muhammad 
peace be upon him, he said that it's written underneath the throne of Allah, the throne of God, that my mercy prevails over my wrath. So that kind of calms us down, <laughs> helps us a little bit. I think you had a question or comment. Yes. Um, I was going to ask. So how does how does Islam believe in atonement for your evil deeds? So do your do your good deeds have to outweigh your evil deeds, or in what way are you atoned? Do you atone for? Yes. So um, there are different different ways. And you want to try to do all of those ways just to make it more likely that you are forgiven. So number one, the scholars, they talked about, and they derived this from the Quran and Hadith. They talked about past, present, and future. It's going to sound like, uh, what is that, Mr. Scrooge? <laughs> uh, what is it? A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, right? Charles Dickens. I went through a period where I was reading like all of his books. I mean, I was just so amazed by him, but now I'm not so amazed. I don't know why, but um, he's, he's an amazing author. So in any case, uh, past is that a person committed a sin, they have regret about having done that, that sin in the past. Um, as opposed to saying, oh, back in the day, you should have seen me what I used to be like. <laughs> it shouldn't be taken boasting about what the, the sins that they have done, but rather they should, they should feel regret and sadness over that missed opportunity to get closer to God instead they're away from God. Um, in terms of the present, they actually stop that, um, that sin. So if a person is trying to overcome uh, addiction, for example, to drugs, and they want to repent. So it's not enough for them to say, oh, Allah, forgive me, and then, oh, pass on the next one. And, uh, oh, Allah, forgive me. No, it's like to stop the sin in the present. And then in the future, to have a firm will not to return to that sin. They say if a person has all of those conditions, they are forgiven by Allah, except for another case, which would be if the sin has to do with another human being. So if I come to, what's your name? If I come to Chris and I take his watch, right? And then I go to the mosque and say, Oh Allah, please forgive me. Oh, what time is it, by the way? And I give him his watch, right? It doesn't work that way until I return the right. So this is what Muslims are most worried about, is the rights of others. Because what's between me and Allah, if I did my five daily prayers or not, like God can forgive me, He doesn't need my prayers. But what's between me and Chris we believe that on the Day of Judgment, if I didn't return his watch to him, he will come before Allah and say, he took my watch. And there will be, have to be some kind of retribution there. And he will take from my good deeds, or I'll have to take from his sins. So we believe that there is, yes, there is deeds, there are scales, there is, uh, there will be lawsuits, but not with money involved, with deeds involved. Um, the other aspect, it says in the Qur'an, um, there was a companion of Prophet Muhammad, he was very overcome, overwhelmed. He said that he, um, he didn't commit adultery, but he, he just kissed a woman. And he felt, oh, that's it, I'm going to the hellfire. So the Prophet Muhammad, when he, when he was told this, he remained silent. Then revelation came and said that the good deeds, they erase the bad deeds. So he told the man this good news. He said, if you do good deeds, not only is it about they exist Bad deeds exist and good deeds exist, and which one is more? It says that the good deeds will actually erase the bad deeds. Something like, well, like karma. Like karma. Karma. 
Yeah, so we, we believe that all the religions and their origins, they have a lot of the similar similar messages. So what's even beyond that from God's mercy and compassion? He said if a person is sincere in their turning back to God, he said he transforms those evil deeds and replaces them to become good deeds, not just erases them. So that's how we deal with it, it's just by uh, this... Just distrusting God and seeking, seeking, knowing that He created us and that we can make mistakes. Uh, even though we don't believe in original sin, we do believe that we have inclination both to good or to evil, and we have to overcome the inclination to evil and refine the inclination to good. So, mm-hmm. and to tie it back to what you said previously, uh, that that's referring to the fact that you uh, you believe that children are touched by the devil when they're born. Um, yes. So that's yes. why you have the inclination towards both good and This evil. is why a Muslim, what they will do at the time of the birth, and this is what I did for my children as well, is in the right ear, we make the call to prayer, which is Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. I don't know if you have heard it before. If you go to Turkey, it's a really nice, maybe Rasha Christian can go to Turkey, and uh, <laughs> it'll be a lot of, that'll be fun. Um, I don't know how I would raise the money to do that, but maybe you have a wealthy benefactor somewhere. So in any case, we make the call to prayer, and the call to prayer, when it's heard, we say that the devil, he flees from that, because it's saying God is greater, God is greater, and and this is something which puts, yes, the fear of God in, in the devil, and he flees and runs away. So this is why a Muslim would, would do that call to prayer, um, and we, throughout our life, we are doing ablution, we are doing prayers. Uh, we're seeking to get close to God. Um, we're always very careful uh, not to uh, become arrogant, uh, not to become prideful, uh, not to become boastful, uh, not to become envious, because all these are seen as entrances uh, of the devil into the heart uh, and even mind of, of man. So. so now this is opened up for whatever questions you have on the topic or about Islam. Um, Probably have like two or three. I think I told you 9.35. I meant 9.45. 9.45. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we okay. 12 minutes. Yeah. 12 minutes. Yeah. So let me just wrap up about names and attributes. Um, so then, this is the one where we'll get a debate. So I think so far most of this sounds very much in common with the way you perceive of, of God in many different ways, and maybe some of it doesn't. But this one, this surah, a surah is a chapter of the Qur'an. My kleptomaniac, this was in my pocket somehow. <laughs> doing magic tricks myself without even realizing it. Alright. So, this is surah, if you want to leave away with something that you can study, um, you can study both chapter 1 of the Qur'an, it only has 7 verses, and then chapter number 112. If you want to, and then um, chapter 2 verse, we're not going to be able to get to this verse, but 255 is also a very important one in terms of the Islamic conception or Qur'anic conception of God. Um, so, 112... It says, say he is Allah Ahad. He is one. 
So one and unique also is inferred in that word. Um, and then Allahu as-samad. As-samad means absolute, eternal. What as-samad means, it's kind of like the term axiomatic, where something is an axiom. And to explain this further, it's that everything that... Okay, thank you, Chris. Have a good one. All right. Um, that everything in this world depends upon God for his existence, but he does not depend on anything for his existence. That's the idea of summat, of being absolute. Um, so again, this was very radical in a polytheistic society, which Arabia was at the time of Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him. So it was seen as a direct challenge to them. This is why the early Muslims are persecuted. Um, and they had to flee. Do you know where they fled to first? There's a good movie if you want to watch it. It has a lot of this history called The Message. Does anybody know Anthony Quinn? No? That's from like the 70s. This movie was made in the 76. If you want to YouTube him, he's a message called Anthony Quinn. Okay? You'll get a brief history of Islam entertain, entertainment style. So the first place where, because I was saying this was revolutionary to a polytheistic society. Where do you think the Prophet Muhammad sent his persecuted followers? Where would he send them to? He didn't send them to Byzantium because Byzantium were aggressive as well. He didn't send them to Persia because Persia were aggressive. He sent them to Abyssinia, which is the Coptic Christians. <laughs> um, and for them, this wasn't as revolutionary so far, except for this next part. Don't all throw stuff at me all at once. Um, he begets not. So this is where Islam and Christianity part ways. He begets not, nor is he begotten. So we say Allah has no father, he has no children. Uh, we are his creation. We don't refer to Allah as Father. Um, I mean, we can stretch it if we're talking about it in a metaphorical sense that God is the Father. But usually people, they misunderstand it um, and unfortunately can take it literally sometimes. So we're very careful uh, in the context of Arabian society where they said that Allah has sons or daughters um, and that the angels were like daughters of Allah and these other deities are like this kind of thing. So it, it was... Again, to say he begets not, nor is he begotten. Um, then, there is nothing comparable to him. So everything that we say about him, he is above and beyond. Uh, we say, means no vision can encompass him, but he encompasses all vision. And he is the subtle, the aware. There is nothing comparable to him. So, ironically, this verse is, is the third verse. <laughs> so, um, this, is, this is where we have the issues, the issue of the Trinity with, between Muslims and Christians. Well, I would argue that Christianity would also slightly disagree with number one because uh, we do believe God is both one and three. And depending on how you define unique, um, 
we would also argue the gut is not exactly unique since we are his image. So okay, yeah. I don't know. okay, all right. Good. It looks like it looks like I'm going to debate it over dinner tonight. <laughs> I can see your train of thought. What do I Um. So I mean. There's a lot of, and I, and I grew up, I mean, I was born and raised in the United States, if you're curious. Uh, my parents are from Egypt. Um, in Egypt, we have Muslims and Christians in the same villages. Um, so they're, they're familiar <laughs> with each other. But I grew up uh, in Austin, um, was born in Arlington, Virginia. So I was exposed early on to people coming to me and saying that I'm going to, to hellfire uh, because I don't believe that Jesus died for my sins. I was exposed to um, the arguments that people are making for and against Islam, uh, and still till today, I think some of it goes down stoops on both sides, stoops to a level that it shouldn't get to, but I like the spirit here. It's been very welcoming, very gracious, very hospitable, and that's actually what the Quran says. It says if you engage with the people of the book, it should always be in the most refined manner uh, and with good with good uh, behavior, etc. But if you go to YouTube, like you said, horrific comments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll find that on Muslim videos, on Christian videos, um, anything that's worth anything, it's going to be... YouTube yeah, comment exactly. sections are just yeah. a dumpster. Oh, just, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's let's take your questions now um, uh, and, and go from there. Yes. So often um, in Christianity, we have a debate about um, if there's someone in the wilderness and they've never heard about God, um, how does God deal with their sin and what happens to them? So is there kind of like a similar debate that, that happens in Islam or how would... There's, uh, there isn't a debate. We say that Allah, this is a verse of Quran, that's why it's not a debate. It says that if a person was not sent a prophet or messenger, then Allah would not punish them. So, um, what we would say, because they do talk about this man in the island in the wilderness, the Islamic argument is that man in the wilderness, because of his innate disposition and his innate nature, and that spirit that was blown into him, he would know that there is God, at least. He would know that. And that he is to worship and honor God, right? Even without idolatry or without wood and stone, that he would just know that innately. And that would be, and with his, along with his good works, that would be enough of an argument before God than having followed the Torah or the Qur'an or the Gospel or this, or this prophet or that messenger. But we do have also in the Qur'an that every major civilization did receive prophets and messengers. So that there is now not only internal, intuitive knowledge of God, but now there's an external revelation pointing to God so now there's no room for escape um, for a person to deny that God is there and is sending these messages. Yes. Um, Did so you have one? Let me give you a chance. Okay. You're just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, keep asking. All right. Um, so I've heard from some other people that have said that uh, Islam believes that, believes that the Bible was corrupted over time. Is that correct? So, uh, corrupted is definitely a strong word. I, again, I haven't studied enough about the Bible, but I do know from biblical scholars and historians that they are arguing amongst themselves about 
the Bible that we have today is it the original Bible. So I wouldn't make it again. We're talking about two different things because I the New Testament, for example, is what Christians believe it to be, as far as I know, is an inspired biography of Jesus, peace be upon him. Um, but when we say we believe in the Injil, and then we roughly call it the Gospel, the Injil is what we believe that is, is that what God said to Jesus. So there may be elements of it in the New Testament, but as a complete total book, it's not the same, it's not equivalent to what we're referring to. Um, but one of the one of the arguments that's made has to do with language and that when you translate something that's why we're very careful about quranic translation calling them interpretations when you translate something you may lose some of the meaning and it may run counter to the meaning so i would say as a christian um if i was in your place i would want to go back to as far back as i can to the original sources and the language of that source and study that language and study the sources um, uh, you know, especially if I want to become a scholar in that, or become a member of Ratio Christi. <laughs> yeah, there, there are plenty of uh, plenty of examples of scripture where we have to go back to the old text to figure out the actual original meaning. There's a passage in Leviticus, but uh, I'm getting uh, I'm straying away. Uh, my other question was, since uh, Islam for quite a while was an oral tradition, not a written tradition, would you argue? Couldn't you argue that there would be inaccuracies in the tradition up until it started being a written tradition? So in the in the hadith there are. So the hadith, because what you have in hadith, not for all of them, but for most of them, you have a single person. So there's Prophet Muhammad upon him, his companion, to what's called. Uh, Let's just call C, C star right now. Just C star star. And you have just one one chain, right? Whereas the Quran is different. Quran. Was many. To many. To many. To many. And all of them. Are going back to the same. Same Quran. And in addition. There are still in museums today. Written. Parchments, they're written on deer skins and those kind of things. Parchments of the Quran, not the entirety of the Quran like we have today, but like uh, significant numbers of passages that are written down that are also the same as uh, the ones transmitted to us till today um, and so on. So the Quran also is memorized. The Hadith is not memorized. Um, but definitely Hadith criticism uh, within the Muslim tradition is very big uh, and we have we have to grade the hadith as the Prophet said it for sure or he might have said it or this is definitely a fabrication about him like for example someone who sells lentils he, he just makes up a hadith he said the Prophet Muhammad said that lentils is the food of the prophets that's actually a, a saying that people still today think that that's a legitimate saying it wasn't I mean, it's very humble to eat lentil soup, but there's no tradition that said that was the food of the Prophet. But uh, it sounds nice. Um, so that would be an example of a fabricated hadith. And with the Qur'an, all the Muslims agree in its integrity. 
Uh, the hadith is where you have differences uh, between the scholars. Uh, and you have differences between the scholars' interpretation of Quran also. Yeah. I mean, it was the same Bible. It was compiled yeah. from different manuscripts. I mean, a lot of the same theological arguments back and forth within Christianity, you'll find them in Islam also. So about divine will, predestination, freedom, to a free will, those kind of arguments, you'll find them in Islamic history, and so it's a lot of things. I have a question, and I think we'll be out of time. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, so you're taking control. That's a president. <laughs> I'm going to give the That's last okay. question. That's after this semester. So, since we do a lot of, since we do apologetics, we do a lot of reading apologetics, yeah. we read a lot of bad arguments, too. And one argument that, um, you know, kind of like your two-bit blogger Christian that wants to get out and say, ah, this is proof Islam. The big thing that they go to is this uh, controversial passage that says, uh, say not free of the law. And um, typically the claim is, this uh, this passage is described in the Trinity. It gets the Trinity horribly wrong. Therefore, whoever wrote the Quran had no idea what he's talking about. Like, that's typically the argument. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand there there is a debate in Quranic scholarship over whether that is legitimately talking about this is what the Trinity is or if it's something separate. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how much I, I imagine this is a possibility. Yeah. Um, but could you sort of sketch, the, uh, sketch what the debate is, broadly speaking, and then perhaps your own personal perspective? So, um, I'm not aware of a, of a debate about that particular verse. I turned off my phone. Um, but let me see if I can remember the verse, the whole, the whole verse. Um, so we memorize it in Arabic sometimes. Um, So part of the verse definitely says thalatha, which is say not three. And they say Maryam It says that the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, is a messenger of Allah, uh, and his word thrown upon Mary. Um, so the context of the verse is about the divinity of Jesus, peace be upon him. and not to say that he is Allah. Or the son of Allah. So that's the context of the verse. I don't know if it, I'm just not aware of the debate uh, within Islam about any, anything about the, that verse. Um, the Trinity, I mean, for a Muslim, is confusing. I don't know for Christians if it's, if oh, it's clear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I've heard it described like. Like the phases, you have liquid. Y'all are beyond beyond that in racial Christie, is that what you're saying? Every, every analogy is a heresy. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> okay. You can't draw an analogy to it. It's actually impossible. Yeah, like okay. you said earlier, there's nothing comparable to a lot nothing comparable to Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well guys, let's thank uh Shimon.